Amen. You may be seated. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you saw this, but this is a little brochure that uh, was put together about the phase two. It's one of those seat pockets in front of you. And, uh, you know, the one thing we'd really be asking everybody to do is just take some time to look it over, be praying about what maybe God would lay upon your heart to do with it. Um, because, you know, as a church, in a couple weeks, we are going to come back and just kind of ask and see where, uh, see what the Lord's doing. So would encourage you to do that. If I've not met you, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. If you've been with us, you know, back in, I'm going to guess it's September, we, uh, we introduced that we were taking a trip to Israel. And then, of course, October, everything broke loose. And so some people have been asking, are, are we still going? And the answer is yes, we are planning to still go. Uh, the, the, uh, they're starting to open back up. It's next fall. It's October 7th through the 16th. And then we have an extension for those that want to do the extension where we're going to go visit the seven churches of Revelation. So over in Turkey, beautiful, beautiful uh, places. And so uh, if you're interested, I've got brochures up here, but Tammy and I are going to host a meeting in our house uh, Sunday night, March the 17th at 6.30. And you can sign up for that at events.dscchurch.com. If you've never been to Israel, it's an awesome thing. We'd love to have you go with us. If you've got your Bibles today, we are in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. If you've not been with us, we are in a little bit of what I would call a parenthetical section of the book of Revelation. So instead of actually moving the narrative on as far as we're in the midst of the tribulation and we've got one more series of judgments to come, he's taking some time and giving us some backstory of some other things that are playing out during this time. So if you weren't with us, in chapter 12, what he does is he introduces this historic conflict from the very time when Satan fell up until the end of the tribulation when now Satan is going to be thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. It's this historic conflict. And what he did was he introduced four main characters who have been part of the story. The woman who represents the nation of Israel, the red dragon, who is Satan, the child, who is Jesus. And oh, by the way, the conflict is really not between the dragon and Israel. The conflict is between the dragon and the Messiah. That's, that's why he has tried to corrupt the line of the Messiah. That's why he's tried to kill the Jews throughout history. It's because of the Messiah because ultimately he wants to be worshipped, uh, Satan does. We'll talk about that this morning. And then the fourth person we were introduced to was Michael the Archangel, who is the <coughs> head of the host of God's armies. And there at that midway point, there's a war in heaven, and Satan and his angels are cast down to the earth for those last three and a half years. Now when you get to chapter 13, we're introduced to two more players in the midst of this the beast in the first 10 verses and then starting with verse 11 the false prophet so these are two players that are going to play into this historic conflict but they don't show up until the very end of, of, of time so let's read these 10 verses together if you'll follow along that would be great 
And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. And then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear. His mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain. His fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name was not found, has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. So he's introducing now a new character, the beast. We often refer to him as the Antichrist. But to understand what John is writing here, you really need to understand the book of Daniel. Now let me, let me do a little side here. For those of you who maybe are new to Desert Springs, or maybe you're a new Christian, haven't studied the Bible, just going to be flat out honest. You have decided to show up at a time when we are handling some of the most difficult scripture, right? Most don't, I mean, because revelations about things to come, there's a lot of imagery. And when you get from chapter 12 to about chapter 18, uh, it, it is some of the most difficult stuff in the world. I, I had to laugh. They told me a guy walked out a couple weeks ago and said, I don't know what they're talking about. They're talking about a dragon and all this. And it's like, okay, no, it's not Game of Thrones, right? This is, this is the Bible. And the imagery is there. Now, the question is why? Why, why, didn't, why didn't it just make it really clear, right? Uh, why is it so hard to kind of sift through some of this stuff? And uh, I don't know. I don't know. That would be a good question we can ask when we get there. Uh, I think my own hypothesis is this. Remember, remember when Jesus started talking in parables and his disciples asked, why don't you just talk plainly? And he says, well, because if I do that, here's what's going to happen. But, you know, I, it is for you to understand, right? You're my people. You're, you're the ones who understand this. And then you read the parable and you're still kind of scratching your head, right? Because it's some tough stuff, right? You got to think about it. You got to meditate on it. You got to take the other things that Jesus says and kind of work it. And then you go, oh, right? And so I think that if he just, you know, told us the name of the guy who's going to be the Antichrist, had told us the name of the country out of which he's come, right? We would have, you know, especially as Christians, 
I mean, that's what we do. I mean, Jesus says no one knows the day and hour. Do you know how many people, Christians, have fixed the date when Jesus is going to come back? You know, throughout history, it's just kind of what we do. So I think there's just a sense that it's like, no, 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 no. Some of this is a little veiled, but I'm, I'm going to give you enough. And as you get closer, more and more of it's going to make sense. And oh, by the way, I've already given you a lot of wisdom. You just got to go looking for it. And part of that wisdom is back in the book of Daniel. So if you're not familiar with Daniel, Daniel... Uh, was written about 550 BC. Daniel's taken into captivity, so 550 years before the birth of Christ. And it was to Daniel, literally to Nebuchadnezzar, but the wisdom came from Daniel about how history was going to play out, how this historic battle was going to ultimately conflict was going to play out through these Gentile kingdoms and if you're not familiar with Daniel chapter 2 I don't have time to read it but let me just summarize it Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this great statue a head of gold arms and shoulders of silver kind of middle part of bronze legs of iron and then ten toes which were iron but also mixed with clay then there was this rock not cut with hands that came out and smashed the whole thing so there wasn't even any dust left. It was just gone. And what God revealed to Daniel was that this was the picture of future history, of this whole conflict that's going to be taking place. He called it the time of the Gentiles, where before the Messiah comes, this is how the world is going to be dominated. King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold. Who follow, who is going to follow him? The Medan Persian Empire. Then following them would come Greece. Then following them would come iron, uh, which is Rome. And, and they would crush and they would destroy. But oh, by the way, at the very end, he mentions these ten toes. These ten toes. And oh, by the way, once the ten toes are there, then you have this rock not cut with hands that comes and crushes the statue, that's the kingdom of the Messiah. And there won't even be a taste of this time left because he's going to make everything new. So he lays out history. And he talks about these four kingdoms, which, oh, by the way, there's really a fifth because there's these ten toes. They're kind of tied to Rome, but they're kind of not. But that's going to be the last part. Jump ahead 50 years to Daniel chapter 7. And I want you to turn there, by the way, because you, you really do need to see this. Daniel chapter 7. So in Daniel chapter 7, God gives Daniel now even more wisdom about these kingdoms and what's going to happen at the end. This is what he says, Daniel 1, 7 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Okay, do you remember Revelation 13:1? The dragon is standing where? By the sea. Four great beasts were coming up out of the sea different from one another. The first was like a lion, 
and had a wing, had the wings of an eagle. And I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was given to it. Another And behold, another beast, the second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side. Three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said, Arise and devour much meat. After this, I kept looking. Behold, another one, like a leopard. By the way, do those animals sound familiar? Didn't we just read that in Revelation 13? Bear and a leopard and a lion. Okay, hold on. Keep these thoughts. After this, I kept looking, and behold, the leopard had four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful, terrifying, extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And it was different than all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boast. Skip on down to verse 17. These great beasts were four in number and are four kings who will rise from the earth. So now in Daniel chapter 7, God gives Daniel some more intrigue into this. So Babylon, is if we were to read the whole chapter, this is where it's going. Babylon represents the lion. Oh, by the way, I, you know, had wings, but the wings were plucked. It was made to stand up. You remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, who Boasted that, oh, look at what I did, and God humbled him for seven years. He, 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 walked, he lost his mind, but God now brought him back and put him in that place. That's, that's, um, that's the lion. Then you had the meat and the Persians. Oh, by the way, it's kind of lopsided because one, one of those was bigger than the other, but they are going to conquer. Then you have Greece. Uh, the, the leopard, right fast, comes with... It comes with uh, wings because, I mean, that was the thing about Alexander the Great. He moved, and he moved so fast, and he conquered the whole world. But what happens? At the height of his power, 33 years of age, Alexander the Great dies. His, his kingdom now is divided into four. And then there's this last beast, the one that's exceedingly dreadful, iron teeth, right? This is Rome. But oh, by the way, it has 10 horns. Well, not actually. It has an 11th horn that comes up, supersedes three. And so when you go back to Revelation, what we start seeing are these pictures. We see this beast coming up. It represents all the kingdoms of the world, right? Because this is going to be the final one. The leopard, the bear, the lion. The ten horns. Daniel was given this picture. Now, you get Messiah's coming in verses 9 to 14. We don't have time for that. Encourage you to read it on your own. Starting in verse 15, you kind of get then the vision interpreted. Let's pick it up in verse 23 of Daniel 7. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms, will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. 
As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. Another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the highest one. He will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Does that familiar, sound familiar? We used that same expression last week in, Romans, or in Revelation 12. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. This is the rock not made with hands. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. Jesus is going to come and rule and reign. All right, so you, so you begin to see the pictures. What do we learn here? Well, first of all, the beast that we read about in Revelation chapter 13 both represents this last kingdom but also a very unique person who is going to lead this. The beast will come out of a Gentile nation. That's what the ocean represents. In fact, you can see that back here in Revelation chapter 17 uh, verse 15. And it says, the waters which you saw the harlot sit, the peoples and the, are the peoples and the multitudes and nations and tongues. It's not the Jewish people. He comes out of a Gentile nation. The beast will come from a nation that will be part of what we would call a revived Roman Empire. Now, what this exactly looks like, we don't know. What we know about these toes is they're partly iron. Iron was in the legs. It was Rome. So we don't know if this is just a European conglomeration of ten nations. Uh, also, Rome did move to Constantinople. Maybe it's something to do with that. But in the end times, ten nations are going to form a pact. An eleventh nation is going to come, actually defeat the three. And you think about the tribulation time, wars, rumors of wars. And he's going to conquer the three and then become a part of this and become their leader. But we know it has something to do with the Roman Empire because you go back to Daniel 9.27 that we've looked at a lot. We looked at it last week. And it says that after the, you know, it's the 70 weeks after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come. Who is the prince who is to come? It's the Antichrist. They will come and destroy the city. Well, who destroyed the city? Rome. So some type of this revived Roman Empire, 10 nations that will come together, an 11th now will emerge, defeat three in battle, become the leader, and that's when the beast will sign the peace agreement with Israel to protect them, seven years. But in the middle of it, did you pick that up? Time, times, half a time, three and a half years. You actually also see it uh, there in verse, uh, end of verse five, to act for 42 months. 42 months is three and a half years. So something is going to happen in the midst of this tribulation time that is just going to set it on edge at that three and a half mark. 
because now the beast is going to have great power and now he's going to begin to dominate the world in fact you see that in in the expressions here end of verse 7 over every tribe and people and tongue and nation and all who dwell on the earth so it goes and part of what some Bible scholars think happens is that he feigns or actually experiences death and resurrection. You go back to, to verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed the beast. Let me ask you, Antichrist, what does that mean? Well, it's an archetype, right? It's, it's somebody who, but everything is different. It's like living in bizarro world. Well, what was Jesus' greatest miracle? Was it not resurrection? It talks about one of his heads, a deadly wound. So, you know, maybe it's referring to the revival of the Roman Empire. It could, but, but many think, okay, so what is it that turns everything Except maybe this cataclysmic event where he's assassinated and yet he comes back to life. People see him as God. They begin to worship him. Now I know because, you know, this is not my first rodeo. I've preached this before. In that moment that I say that, some of you Bible theologues, but only God has the power of giving life and taking it away. Okay. All right. But isn't Satan a deceiver? So maybe... Maybe he doesn't really die. I don't know. Or maybe what else happens at that three and a half year mark? We just studied it last week in chapter 12. There's a war in heaven. Satan and all his demons are flung down here. What if they just take over his body? I don't know. I mean, we're not told exactly. But something happens here. And so now the beast is going to be worshipped as God. And, and again, now this is where you've got to step back for a moment and keep your eyes on the big picture. What's going on here is not so much about the beast and the tribulation as much as there is this historic battle and Satan is the one who is giving his power and his authority to the Antichrist. You see it there. He's the one who, who comes and greets the beast out of the, out of the sea. It's Satan who works through him to accomplish his plan because through the beast, Satan gets what he wants. Do you know what Satan wants? To be worshipped like God. You see it in Scripture. You go to Isaiah 14, which talks about the fall of, of Lucifer. It says, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. He wants to be worshipped. He wants people to bow down to him. So what does he do? He shows up with Adam and Eve. Ah, so did God really say? God didn't mean that. Listen to me. He's holding out on you. He knows you eat of that, that tree, you're going to become like him. Follow me. Follow me. I think we even see it at the temptation of Christ. There in, in Matthew chapter 4, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. 
And he said to them, all these things I will give you, which is interesting, right? It's not ruling and reigning that Satan is interested in. I will give those things to you if you fall down and worship me. Satan wants to be seen and to be worshipped as God. And he gets that. Did you notice verse 4? And they worshiped the dragon, Satan, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast and said, who, who is like him? And it says there in verse, uh, verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name was, wasn't written. So the Antichrist now is empowered by Satan. And whatever happens at this midpoint time, right, whether it's assassination or whatever, now what happens? We'll go back to last week. He turns on the Jews. This is when they got to flee. This is when they got to head to the wilderness. Remember, he's going to send a flood after them, and it says the earth opens it up, right? Whatever, whatever that means, but he turns on the Jews. And he is going to now dominate the earth. But notice what happens there in verse 7. And it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. So he turns on the Jews they flee, God protects them. So now what does he do? He turns, he turns his attention to Christians. Now, if you've been with us, you remember that we've talked about how we believe the rapture actually happens before the tribulation time. But mind you, there has been 144,000 Jewish preachers who have gone forth preaching the gospel during the first half of the tribulation and who knows how long before that, you know, after the rapture, before the tribulation even started. People are coming to faith in Christ. The darkness is great. They're seeing the light. And so now the beast turns and goes after them and this is where you see in Matthew 24, you also see here in the book of Revelation, martyrdom, being beheaded for the name of Christ. He is going to try to kill all for 42 months. Time, times, and half the time. And the beast will be ruthless. But I want to finish today. Oh, and I got to hurry. I, want, I just want, I, I want you to see uh, verse 7 and it was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them ooh ooh Satan's going to overcome them the beast is going to overcome them the, the, does God not care about his children he's protecting Israel what, what about the Christians who called out his name why doesn't he protect them look at verse 9 if anyone has an ear let him hear so those of you that have been with us does that phrase ring a bell I hope it does because we actually saw that exact phrase seven times in chapters two and three he's writing to the churches remember he gives them a commendation then a condemnation and then a promise and then a word of wisdom and he always introduced it with he who has an ear let him hear and then he added this what the spirit says to the churches you remember that seven times 
Oh, by the way, it doesn't talk about to the churches because the, I think the church is gone. But a word of wisdom here to those who are living in that day and reading this, and oh, by the way, do you think this is not going to make sense to them in that moment as they watch this thing play out? And his word to them is, if anyone is destined for captivity to get captivity goes if anyone kills with the sword with the sword he must be killed here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints I think a word of spiritual wisdom is now shared with them that I think is really important for us to understand basically simply this God's plan doesn't always mean that for us everything is going to be a bowl of peaches or cherries or whatever you like ice cream it's not we, we, we live in a foreign place that's why Jesus said oh by the way if you're going to follow me you've got to take up your cross daily and follow me and some of you going to go into captivity and some of you are going to be killed and it seems like in the book of Revelation the death of choice is by beheading and it's okay I got you I know this I know right where you are but this is what's coming so persevere Endure, right? Yeah, it's hard. I'll be with you every step of the way, though. And the reality is, is that for those of us who live in America, this is so foreign to us. Because we've lived in a country where we can celebrate freely. We can come and worship. There's nobody out there looking at our license plate of who showed up at church today. Yet most of the world, for the last 1,900 years, there's been great persecution. I mentioned not long ago that in, in the 1900s, they tell us more people were martyred for the faith of Christ than, than in the 1,800 years prior to that. It's going to get worse again. I mean, let's, let's, let's just be honest today. I think all of us know something is happening in our world. Something is turning. Something is certainly turning in our country. Persecution may be coming. But his point is this. I got you. I know where you're at. Stay faithful. Follow me. Don't don't get your eyes on the wrong thing. This world is not our home. Amen. Live for that day. Let this be the perseverance. Let this be the thing that causes you to endure. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And it's amazing how in America we lose sight of this. And we wonder, okay, we, we maybe go to the doctor and get a bad, bad report of what's going on and somehow God doesn't love me. No, he loves you. You live in a fallen world and you're not home yet. 
And we sit here and we kind of watch what's going on in our country and we want to we take up the weapons of this world, but the Bible tells us the, the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons. It, it's the weapons of, of holiness and grace and living for Jesus. Prayer, love, forgiveness. Those are the weapons of our warfare. We live Jesus and we share Jesus. And when you and I humbly walk through the things in this life, I mean, first of all, it gives great glory to God. Can you imagine? Again, take a step back. Historic battle between God and Satan. And Satan wants to be worshipped as God. Can you imagine the glory God gets as those Christians through the years have stood there at the stake as they're about ready to set it on fire and say, I will not turn back. I follow Jesus. Of these saints, as they kneel into the guillotine, say, I will not turn back. I will follow Jesus. But not only that, it also brings great reward. Because what you read in Revelation chapter 20 is that all those who have been martyred come to life again and they rule and they reign with Jesus. Folk, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what we're going to go through as children of God in our own country in the next, shoot, next nine months, let alone the next five years. I don't know. But I do know this. He knows right where you're at. His promise is I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll walk you all the way home. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. No matter what's happening on the outside, live for Jesus. It gives great glory to him and it brings great reward for us.